Well, thank you, Pastor Tim. As um, Pastor said, my name is George Brown, and I get to be the young adult ministry director here at the church. And I just love it. I love working with college students and young adults. And I just want to say really quick before we get started here this morning, I want to say thank you to you all for the kind of church you are and for the kind of people you are. You make my job very easy. As, as a college pastor and a young adult pastor, my hope and my heart is that every college student that comes to Phoenix would walk away having experienced the love of Jesus through the local church and hopefully our local church. And so thank you to you all for being a church that that happens so naturally. So thank you for that. And before we get into our message this morning, I just want to say an invitation to you all to join me in praying for our college students. They're right now in summer break or getting ready to start college for the first time. And they're spread out all over the country and really all over the world. And in August, there's going to be about 20,000 students that are going to move just a few miles down the way to GCU. So would you be praying with me for those college students that they would experience the love of Jesus here in Phoenix, and specifically for freshmen, because that is a big transition for 18-year-olds to move across the country and start a new chapter of their life. So if you would be praying with me in the next few months, I would greatly appreciate that. But this morning, we're going to be continuing in our Broken People, Big God sermon series, and we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham. So go ahead and open your Bibles, open your phones, and we're going to get into Genesis chapter 22 and look at a story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. Before we do that, though, I want to tell a quick story that that story made me think of this week. If you know me or if you spent any time with me, I have to apologize. I find a way to work Montana into just about any conversation. I was very fortunate, very blessed that the three summers in between my college years, I was able to go up and work at a camp called Clydehurst Christian Ranch. I think it's one of the prettiest places in the world. I think we may even have a picture just for a little bit of context up in Montana, God's country, as they say. We got to go up there. It's somewhere between Billings and Bozeman. And if you know the state or if you're familiar with the area, it's very close to Big Timber. And it's located in just this gorgeous valley called the Boulder Valley. There's the Boulder River. It's right in the middle of it, filled with trout and all sorts of things. There's actually a movie, if you guys have heard, called A River Runs Through It. I know it's one of Pastor's favorites. And it was, it was literally filmed, some of it, on the camp property. So just a gorgeous place. But my first summer there, I was a crew boy. And crew boys, during the week, they do lots of fun things, like taking out the trash and burning it, because that's what you do in Montana. Dealing with heavy-duty equipment, like, that and feeding horses, all sorts of stuff. But that group of guys, they grew to be some of my best friends. And one Saturday when we weren't working, we had the opportunity to go on an adventure. We decided it was a good idea. I don't know why, for four high school age guys to go hike up a mountain on one of the sides of the valley. And there's a hike there called the Steeple Hike. It's the hardest hike available. It's about two miles up, about almost 2,000 feet elevation gain. So imagine about twice Camelback Mountain, just going up and back, switchback after switchback. So we decided it was a good idea. We got our backpacks. We got our bear spray, because you need that in Montana. We got our walkie-talkies. We are ready to go. 
watered up, hydrated up, ready to go. We started hiking up. It was Caleb, Connor, Jordan, and Anthony. Anthony's an important character in the story. So remember that name. All right, Anthony is an important character because he was a geologist, okay? And if you remember one thing today, aside from the Bible, okay? If you remember one thing, do not go hiking with a geologist. I'm going to tell you why. Anthony, about a mile of the way up, we're going up back and forth. He loses his mind. We just hear him freaking out. We go see what's going on, and he's holding a rock. And he's just so excited because this rock, he acts like he found gold because he thought he thinks he did. He said, this rock contains gold. And he started looking around in the bushes and the trees and started finding there's more and more of these rocks. And so he started to literally fill his backpack with these rocks. And have in mind, it's not just like an REI heavy-duty backpack. It was just a black Jansport backpack, the kind that's barely suitable to fit your textbooks. But he's excited. He's going. We kind of laugh. We kind of snicker at him. We keep going. Another hour, he loses his mind again because there's some more of these kind of rocks. And he starts to fill up the rest of his backpack. At this point, it's full. We're making fun of him behind his back and in front of it. We're just saying, dude, you're literally carrying rocks. He quickly rebuked us and told us he had about $20,000 worth of gold in his backpack. So we stopped laughing very quickly. We were actually excited. We were on board and we wanted to be his friend because if you know somebody that finds gold, you know, you want to be their friend. And so we start going and going. He finds more of these rocks and he starts offering cash. He's like, I'll give $20 when we get down. If you grab this rock, I'll give you $40. And he keeps offering money. So we're kind of, we're, we're all on board. We're going. And then right before we get to the top, his backpack breaks. So he literally has one strap. He kind of looks like Smeagol or something. He's just going down. I forgot to mention Anthony was a kind of a smaller cross-country runner. I think he's the one with his head in the legs of the guy in the picture. He was just very excited, very excited to see what happens. We get down the mountain. He starts doing the test, doing his geology thing. And sure enough, there was no gold. It was just normal rocks. And so I had $20, but all Anthony had was a broken backpack and some shattered dreams. So it was a sad, it was a sad day. But just as much as we laugh and we can kind of think that's a little bit silly, I think we do the same things a lot of time just in our daily life. We, we see these things that we think are going to be helpful for us and we start adding them to our load and we start getting weighed down. And not only are they not helpful, they can be hurtful to our life, to our faith, to our relationships. And I think one of those things is a misconception and not just a misconception, but a lie. And that lie is that the safest place for you, the safest place for me is to be in control. I love control. I love to be in control. I don't like any uncertainty. I want to know what's going to happen when it's going to happen. I love schedules. I think we love to be in control. But I really think when we look at this story today, the safest place isn't in control, but it's in God's will and in God's way. So let's look at Genesis chapter 22 and read this story of Abraham, how he finds himself in God's will and in God's way. It says this, starting in verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. Did you hear that? God will provide. Then verse nine, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went back and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I love that story. I love Genesis 22. I think it's a story of encouragement. It's a story of a miracle. It's a story of an inspiration. But I think more than anything, as I read Genesis 22, it's a story of a man who gave up control. See, I think Abraham had faith. He had obedience. God called him to something odd, something uncomfortable. God called him to obedience, to uncomfortable obedience, and Abraham followed. And while that story is inspiring, I think we could close our Bibles right now and go home and be inspired and say, let's be faithful like Abraham. But I think we'd be missing the power of Abraham's faith. I think it's powerful when we look back over the course of Abraham's life. See, my first point today of Abraham's life is that he trusted the promise of God. But this wasn't always the case. When we look back a few pages to Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abraham. He chooses him because of his faith. God chooses Abraham and makes a vow, a promise, or a covenant with Abraham that he's going to give him many children. He's going to become a nation and that all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through Abraham's lineage. But there's this tension, there's this weird thing where Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they don't have a child, they don't have a son that can pass on that lineage. And so Abraham and Sarah, like AC told us a few weeks ago of Sarah's faith and what that's looked like. Sure enough, later on, they had a son. But before that, Abraham holds on to control. He wants God's blessing. He wants that promise God's giving him, but Abraham wants it his way. See, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, we see Abraham lie to an Egyptian king. They're traveling through a foreign country, and Abraham sees this risk, 
Or if the king in Egypt sees his wife, Sarah, as desirable, Abraham may be at risk, his wife may be at risk, and how would God's blessing come to fruition if anything happened to either one of them? Abraham trusts himself instead of trusting God. He holds on to control and he lies to the Egyptian king. Then a few chapters later, Genesis 16, Abraham is holding on and tight to control again. He hasn't had a son yet and he impregnates his slave, Hagar. Then a few pages later, Genesis 20, history repeats itself. Abraham lies again to another king, not the Egyptian king, but a king named Abimelech. And he does the same thing again. He says that Sarah is his sister, not his wife. And God does what he always does. He brings the darkness to light. He tells the king Abimelech the truth. And Abraham is caught looking silly, holding on to control and not giving over trust to God. See, each and every one of those times, not once, not twice, but three times, Abraham is holding on to control. He wants God's blessing, but he's trying to get it his way. See, I think the the encouragement of a story like Genesis 22 is that we can see somewhere between Genesis 20 and Genesis 22, Abraham learned something. I think he learned the truth of Genesis, sorry, in between Genesis 20 and Genesis 22, he learned the truth of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Abraham does just that in this story. Abraham does not lean on his own understanding. His own understanding would not be to sacrifice the son that was so hard to get, to get the blessing of God. Abraham's own understanding would not be to bring up a knife and wood and prepare a sacrifice of his son. But sure enough, God directed his ways and Abraham was blessed because of it. See, not only did Abraham trust the promise of God in this story, but he also accepts the provision of God. See, God's blessing, his provision comes after Abraham's obedience. And it's not just any obedience. I can tell as we read this story, it is a very uncomfortable obedience. See, if Abraham would have gone on the same track record he had before, I can only imagine Abraham packing up the donkey and leaving the knife at home, getting to Mount Moriah and going, oh, sorry, God, I don't have my knife. We can't do this. Or better yet, saying, oops, I have these two men, but I forgot my son. Will one of them do? Or trying to fill in the blank. The whole story is just rattled with uncomfortableness. Just kind of a sort of cringy factor that Abraham is bringing his son up to sacrifice. I can't imagine that. I don't have a son. I don't, you know, I have a daughter. She's about one year old. She's a kind of, her hair's very curly. It's kind of, kind of golden. And she barks a lot. This is what she looks like. She's young. She's, you know, I still can't imagine that. As silly as it is, a dog, a puppy, God called me to do that. So uncomfortable. But Abraham follows through with faith. Even if she pees on the ground a lot and barks a lot, I still can't imagine it. Right? Abraham is faithful and he's obedient. I think there's something we can learn from Abraham in the way that he responds to the provision of God. He makes a memorial. He makes a name. At the end of this story, he says, this is the mount of the place where God provided. I think Abraham does something that we should be inspired to do, that we should be encouraged to do. And that's to make, to make memorials, to make mem- memories or monuments of situations and stories where God provided. 
I think most recently in my life of a time where God provided, about a year and a half or two years ago, I was working at the church that I had grown up at. I had interned and started to do the college ministry, graduated from college, and I was really enjoying seeing what God was doing and the way he was moving and working. But the tension was the fact that it was just a part-time, a part-time pay. And at the time, I was living at home. Nothing wrong with living at home. Great if that's you. But eventually, there is a time that you need to grow up and move on. And I was wrestling with that. I was like, how long can I keep doing this? How long can it go? So sure enough, God opened a door at GCU where I am now as a resident director, where I was able to, or I am able to work with college students and different situations. And it's a full-time job. They include housing. It's a great deal. But sure enough, as I transitioned into that new season, there was still a hole in my life, something missing. I realized that as foolish as it was, I thought that God's call of me to ministry, it was affirmed in that time, but I thought that it would be fulfilled at GCU. But sure enough, through the time of being a resident director, I found out dealing with bed bugs and roommate conflict and students drinking alcohol on campus when it's a dry campus, it was not fulfilling that call. It's a great job, and I love it, don't get me wrong, but just was not fulfilling what I had realized and learned God had made me to be, who God had wired me to be. And so sure enough, God's provision in that season and that time was through a connection, through a person, through Joel Nevis, who some of you know. He attends this church. And Joel called me up and told me about Phoenix Bible Church and how great it was. The hype did not disappoint. It is a great church. But what's even better than that is he shared with me that there, is a, there was a position or an opportunity to work with college and young adult students at the church at a part-time way that would allow me to keep working at GCU, keep enjoying that job, but also to fulfill that call of God on my life. So here I am today. If it wasn't for that connection, that provision, I don't know where I would be today. I don't know what I would be doing, but sure enough, God's provision looked in that season like a relationship, an opportunity. So I'd encourage you all sometime today, sometime this week, write your story out. Tell your story to somebody and look for times and seasons where God provided. It may not be as big and as grand as you might think, but it may be a conversation, an encouragement, something of the sort. And share that story. Remember that story. I think it's so cool that as we read Genesis 22, a few hundred years later when it was written, it says, to this day, that mountain is called the place where God provided. So every map, every story, every time somebody went to that mountain, they knew that was the place where God provided. So I'd encourage you all, remember where God provided for you now. Because if you're not in a season right now, you will be in a season sometime where you doubt God's goodness. We're going to question whether or not God has your good intention at heart, whether or not God knows what he's doing. And when you, when you remember, when you memorialize and make monuments like that, you can point back. So you know what? Today, I don't, I don't feel God's presence. I'm wondering whether or not he really loves me. Look back to that moment. Look back to that season. Remember that day, that place, that time where God provided. And we can be reminded and remember his goodness and his faithfulness. My last point today that I'd just love to leave with you guys is as we trust the promise of God, as we accept the provision of God, it's important that we believe the good news of God. See, as I was studying this, this story, this book, the life of Abraham, I found myself getting into a bad habit of looking at Abraham's life and going, good, bad, good, bad, bad, he lied to the Egyptian king, good, 
he almost killed his son. I think, I think that was good because it was faith, but good and bad. And we look at all these characters of this series and we say good and bad. We do it to ourselves, right? Good, I had a very productive day at work. I made a lot of sales. I got a great commission or I aced that job interview. I aced that first date, acing this class, whatever it is. And then we go on the flip side and go, you know what? I just got laid off. You know, I didn't feel like making dinner for my family. We had pizza three times this week. Bad as a parent, good as a kid, right? See, good, bad, good, bad. I think the good news of that is as hard as we can be in putting people and ourselves in categories, I think we do the same thing when we look at people, right? Good and bad and good and bad. But I think the good news is that as we look at the cross of Jesus, when we look what Jesus did on the cross, as we believe in Jesus Christ and we are saved, God doesn't see us as good or bad, which is great for us because we're all broken. We're all broken people. So as we put our faith in Jesus, those two categories go away. God doesn't see us as our faults, our failures, our shortcomings. As if you're here today, I want to remind you, as you've put your faith in Jesus, God doesn't see you as your past. If we learn anything from Abraham, it's that past failures do not disqualify present faith. Do not disqualify the present moment. So be reminded of that, be encouraged of that. One of my favorite pastors of all time, he's no longer with us. He passed away a few years ago, Eugene Peterson. If you don't know who he is, the best comparison I can attempt to make is he's like the Michael Jordan of pastors. He's just an all, he's just an all-star. I look up to him. And Michael Jordan had the last dance. Eugene Peterson had an interview. I don't even think it has a title, but towards the end of his life. And in it, he has this quote where he says, there is not a place on earth that does not have the potential for the holiness of God. And I just can't shake that quote from me. As I've continued to think about it and contemplate it, I realize also that there's not a person on this planet that is not capable or doesn't have the potential to be saved by Jesus. As we remember that and we're reminded of that, I think of the life of Abraham and I think about the control. Abraham was called to uncomfortable, unconditional obedience. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I look in the story and I think, okay, how am I like Abraham? What's God calling me to do? What does he want me to do? And I wrestle with that. What's the uncomfortable, unconditional obedience God wants me to do? I'll do that. What do I control? I like to control my future. I try to. I like to control my finances. I want to control and feel comfortable. But I think more than anything, there's one thing I struggle to control. I think you might be the same. I want to control so badly who's worthy of love. I think in my mind, I I want to control, you know what? I should love that person. They vote like me. They act like me. You know what? They repost the same things on Instagram as I do. We agree. I want to control that. They're worthy of love. But I think I have to be reminded of the way God sees them as worthy of his son. I have to look around and say every single person has the potential to be saved by Jesus. Every single person in God's eyes was worthy of the son. And so as I'm reminded of that, I have to ask myself, what would it look like if I saw myself as God sees me? What would that look like? What would that look like for you? If you saw yourself the way God sees you as not good or bad, but as the righteousness of Christ. Think about that. 
Okay, and maybe that's you and maybe you're good at that. Maybe you got that down. You're like, George, you just wasted 30 minutes. I got that. I'm okay. Okay, one more question. Not in a prideful way. Maybe you get that. But what would it look like if you saw other people that way? What would that look like? If we loved Jesus, lived like Jesus in his love. As I was asking myself this week, God, what is that thing that you're, you're calling me to give up control on? I was reminded of Matthew chapter 22. And Matthew chapter 22, if you look at verse 34, it starts out by saying, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, period. That's the hard part. There's no ifs, there's no ands, there's no buts, there's no clauses there. Nope, as much as I want there to be, there's just a period. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I'm curious today, what would that look like if we, we hold on to that control of who is worthy of love if we went to the foot of the cross, we relinquished control and we loved everybody as ourselves. I think love would move. I think it would be a very cool reality and a fun world to live in. We may not get there, but I think it's worth a shot. Will you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word that we get to study and learn from. God, thank you for just the inspiration and encouragement of Abraham. God, just that our past does not disqualify what you will do with us now. God, we come before you humbly, giving up control. God, we know that we are worthy of your love. God, we know that everybody we see, everybody we interact with is worthy of your love. God, help us to live in such a way. We need you and we love you. Amen. Amen.